Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on the Tuesday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. It is my hope that we work through the rest of chapter 15 this evening. But before I get into that, I did just want to continue to thank all of you for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to uh, Seeds of Truth Radio. If you are tuning in by way of iTunes podcast, I welcome you, especially those of you from the countries of Canada, Mexico, uh, Brazil, Argentina, uh, Chile, uh, Western Europe, Italy, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany. Uh, I also see Croatia and some in Africa, uh, South Africa, as well as India and China. I just welcome all of you into the friendly confines of this radio station here in Chico, California, where we take up Many different topics over the course of a week. Again, Monday and Tuesday is about the book of Genesis. Wednesday, we have the blessed opportunity to have Father Mike with us each and every Wednesday, where we take up a a movie and examine that movie to find certain spiritual themes and elements. And to a certain degree, we are critical of of what we are reflecting into, and not necessarily uh, in a negative way as much as just critiquing what we are viewing with the redemptive themes in mind. Tomorrow we are set to talk about Dunkirk, so please join us tomorrow. Uh, And Thursday, I take up your question. Now this Thursday, I'm going to continue to pull from my book as a response to some of the questions I'm receiving out from my book, Art for Evangelizing. Uh, This week's topic is going to be gossip. What is gossip? And uh, certainly there's going to be a lot to talk about there. Uh, But in saying that, please continue to send me your questions. Next week, my hope is, and I've already received a few, but my hope is that uh, you will continue to send me questions about the Passion Narrative, about anything regarding Holy Week, really. So if there is a question on your heart about the Passion Narrative, about uh, Holy Week, please send that question on its way, and I will take time out next week to respond to those very specific questions. All right, with that, let us jump back into Genesis chapter 15. As I noted, I do want to get through the rest of chapter 15. And looking at the nature of these verses, I do think I'm going to be able to do that. So if you have your Bibles out and if you want to turn to chapter 15, I am going to go ahead and read uh, verses 7 to 21. So this is Genesis chapter 15, verses 7 to 21. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in two, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know of a surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be slaves there, and they will be oppressed for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation which they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay, so there you have the remainder of chapter 15. And what I want to do this evening, my friends, is as we go through these verses, really focus on at least one aspect of what we find, and that is certainly a clear reference to the narrative of the great Exodus event. We read the verses in verse 7, I am the Lord. This phrase is seen as God will address Israel in these terms at Sinai. Clearly, my friends, the link is typological as well as verbal. Both here and, and during the Exodus, he leads his elect, does he not? Abraham and Israel. He leads his elect from a land of idolatry, Ur in Egypt, to the land of promise. To the land of promise. And as our Lord references the great Exodus narrative, we ought to just kind of offer a backdrop to the significance of what happened there and then apply it back to Abraham. What was the Exodus of Egypt? But the Israelite departure from the bondage of slavery, of course, under the yoke of the Egyptian Pharaoh. But my friends, <laughs> this was more than just another geographical relocation of the Israelites, but an immigration into the promised land where the future of the Israelite nation would forever be tied to how it worshipped. Let me be clear on that point again, to how it worshipped. Benedict XVI, in his classic book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, really engages this point, that Israel's venture into the unknown Sinai was to be at the service of God. Mere national autonomy and possession of a land, my dear friends, would have reduced Israel to the status quo like every other nation. That really, when you think about it, there would not have been anything distinct about the call of Israel to be his chosen people if they were just going to go to a land to do whatever they wanted to do. No. For this reason, the great epic, that is the great exodus, is always to be interpreted in light of the call to worship. Here we should be reminded of what the word slavery means, especially as we see this language begin to come to the surface as we read Genesis chapter 15. The Hebrew word for worship is uh, abodah. Abodah also translates as 
slavery or servitude. So what took place in Egypt was called out on Sinai. And is it not a curious thing how we move from slavery, well, (laughs) to slavery? To man, slavery is degradation. To God, slavery is glorification. That is to say, my friends, what is greater, to be the one who is being served or the one who is serving? What did our Lord say? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Indeed, my friends, the more excellent adventure is to be the one who is serving. It's so important to juxtapose those two, that the same word, the same Hebrew word for slavery is for worship, abodah. There's a profound paradox going on. And remember what the word paradox means, contrary to expectation. He takes one slavery, turns it upside down so as to turn it right side up in worship. So for the Israelites, land only becomes a true good if it is a place where God actually reigns, with man entering into the practice of worship, of liturgy. So again, we are to never reduce the Exodus event to some political liberation that has no purpose No, it is about worship. Worship. Now, we can probe a little deeper with that word worship. What is it? It's a Latin root, but cultus. What does that sound like? But culture, right? We create culture. Culture is a byproduct of who or, unfortunately, what we worship. We become what we worship. And this was embedded in the very fabric of the Israelite nation. When they're worshiping the golden calf, they are becoming a sinful people, a sinful culture. So God intervenes, and he intervenes with what? But law. This is the other key thing we discover in the Exodus narrative, that law is very important to God, because God understands where there is no law, there is utter chaos, dysfunction. So God also reminds us that we cannot build a culture and civilization of love without an ethic, a right from a wrong. And here, how can we not think about freedom? Freedom is not a license to do whatever we want to do, but a means by which we do what we ought to do. To be truly free, we must obey law. Now, some of us might hear that and say, well, that's a contradiction, because it is when I obey law that I find myself not free to do what I want to do. But my friends, probe deeper. Now, I can ask you the question, at four years old, is my son free to play the piano? I mean, is he free to play the piano? You might say yes. Yeah, he he can walk over to the piano and he, he can strike the keys and and to some degree, he's, he's free to strike the keys. I'm not going to stop him from striking the keys. That's just a freedom of indifference, really. What we're after, and I dare say you are after, is a freedom for excellence. And if you are after a freedom for excellence, then you are after a freedom that needs law. Just as my four-year-old son needs the law, the rubric, the template of how to play the piano. My dear friends, eight years later, my son continues to play the piano. Now my son knows how to read music. 
And let me tell you something. He is free to play the piano. How and why is he free to play the piano? Because he is obedient, obedient to the laws of how to play the piano. Oh, is he free to play the piano? And I dare say, my friends, listening to him, as well as my other kids now, as they are learning to play the piano, is something beautiful to behold. Is something beautiful to behold. Moses came down Sinai with a law because he understands, <laughs> as a father, the importance of law, the importance of a right from a wrong, that behind every no is an immeasurable greater yes, a yes to a deeper truth, that truth that always entails sacrifice. You can never achieve any good thing without sacrifice. We toil. We struggle. We make sacrifices. Why? To bring about a good. Law is necessary. And it is something beautiful. Now, for all of this, I thought we would be well served to apply this to our own families. Especially going back to this verse in verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. The land that was given to you. Do we believe that the places we dwell, the, the places we call home, were actually given to us by God? And if we do, should we not see it as something connected to the Exodus event? That it just isn't another piece of land to do whatever we want to do with, but a place where we are to cultivate. Cultivate a relationship with God. Worshiping the one true God. Exercising a proper ethic. What is right from wrong. Every home, my friends, that enters into a dynamic relationship with God, and upholds right from wrong, is going to be a place where God dwells. If we believe God has called us to the homes we live in and to the cities we are called to be a part of, then let those homes and let those cities become outposts of love. Outposts where people can go to, to be renewed, to be refreshed, that they might have a deeper sense of what a culture of love looks like, of, of what a culture of truth looks like. We live in a country that has lost its moral compass. If we are going to renew society, we must first renew our families because our families are the first cells to any loving culture, loving society. I think I noted this recently, and maybe I didn't, maybe it was... Maybe it was something I talked about at a different talk, a different venue, but <laughs> recently somewhere I was talking about G.K. Chesterton, and now he was once asked the question, G.K. Chesterton, of course, being the doctor of common sense, who had written volumes and volumes about the right thing to do, he was asked a question, and it came to him in a letter. G.K., there are many things wrong with the world today. What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the source of the problem? And G.K. Chesterton responded to this letter with a postcard. 
And on the postcard, he put two words. I am. I am. I am wrong with culture. You see, G.K. Chesterton understood well that before cultures change, and even for that matter, families change, man must first change. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the responsibility to move away from those strange gods that we worship and be renewed in the interior life. We need to decide in very concrete ways how we are going to transform our hearts, consequently transform our families, consequently transform our neighborhoods, consequently transform our cities, consequently transform our states, consequently transform our countries, consequently to transform the world. You want to change the world, transform your heart. If you're asking yourself the question, well, come on, Joe, that's not real. Look at the life of every saint. Look at the life of a St. Teresa of Calcutta, who simply transformed her heart. Once she transformed her heart, once Jesus Christ invaded her soul through and through in the gift of the Holy Spirit, did she begin to change not only her life, but her family, community, and while the rest is history. That same pattern can be found in every single saint. Trust me, I've studied the saints, and you will find that. A very, very important point as we are talking about just not the Exodus events, but also Abram, because he was a man, as we have been talking about, that trusted trusted the need to just be willing to change, willing to abandon, willing to be willing. (laughs) So I brought you, I brought you. And he responds with this question in uh, (laughs) verse eight. Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know that I shall possess it? Well, up to this point, Abram has received only promises of land. But what did we hear in verse 18? Does not God lay his uncertainties to rest by strengthening his promise with a covenant oath for the absolute certainty attained when God as an oath to a promise can be found in many places in Scripture, to the least of which is most of the letter to the Hebrews, especially chapter 6, verses 13 to 18. So he enters into this covenant relationship with God. And once he enters into a covenant relationship with God, there's a new knowing, right? And what's so beautiful about this is this really is what lies at the heart of our faith. That is to enter into a covenant relationship with God. Because as I have noted a hundred times over, (laughs) when you talk about a covenant, we're not talking about an exchange of things this is yours and this is mine, but in exchange of persons, I am yours and you are mine. This is the kind of language we hear in our wedding vows, do we not? God comes to all of us as the bridegroom, right? The bridegroom says, come, we read in the gospel. And so covenant plays a very important part. How will you know? Well, you will know as you enter into covenant relationship with me. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you want to know 
how God is working in your life? We've all asked the question, how am I to know? Abraham applies it to possessing this land, but we, we have our own application. How am I to know? How am I to know that you are in this relationship? How am I to know that you were in this job? How am I to know that you were in this encounter? You will know, God says first and foremost, when you enter into a covenant relationship with me, I will form your heart and at once inform your mind on how I work in your life. Study sacred scripture. Study the lives of the saints. Study how I have worked over 2,000 years, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to you, lift the scales from the eyes of your heart in how I am working in this relationship, that job, and your latest encounter. Hmm? Amen to that. Abraham asks a question here. We all ask, how am I to know? And there's an answer, my friends. And that answer is about being in relationship with God and being obedient to God. Because when we are obedient to God, that is when we are listening well. Obadire is the Latin, and it means to listen well. Turn down the volume of all that interior chatter, that interior restlessness, and listen to God. Okay, so... What about some of this other specific language? <laughs> the, the, the heifer, the she-goat, the ram, the, the turtle dove, the pigeon. Well, does not all of this, my friends, anticipate the sacrifices deemed suitable by later Levitical law? Uh, what about the phrase, uh, this probably struck you, it struck me, cut them in two. Cut them in two. Well, this is a covenant ratification ceremony. What's going on here? Well, in these ceremonies, you would, divide, you would divide these animal carcasses and walk between the pieces. It was a ritual enactment of the, the threat of a curse that a covenant partner invokes upon himself when he swears an oath to ratify the agreement. Here, it is God appearing as smoke and fire who puts himself under the threat of a curse as he moves through the, the slaughtered beasts and swears to grant land to the family of Abram. There's something about these ritual ceremonies all throughout the Old Testament that is very raw, messy, right? But to all of the, the rawness and messiness of the rite, very specific acts were being done. And those acts were caught up in this ritual ceremony with God. And you did these acts ratifying your covenant with God. God asked Abram and, and many others in the Old Testament to do a lot of strange things. Brothers and sisters, he asks us to do a lot of strange things. Maybe we have found ourselves recently asking the question, God, are you sure you want me doing this? God, are you sure, are you, sure you want me doing that? Yes. Yes, it may not make sense to you now, but listen to me, and you will understand it in time. How am I to know, we might ask? Enter into a deeper relationship with me, covenant relationship with me. Receive me in the Eucharist, and I will show you. I will show you. Okay, how about this deep sleep? As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. What does that echo? 
but the deep sleep of Adam, found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. I would argue, my friends, that what you have going on in chapter 15 is both a looking back and looking forward. We discussed the looking forward in, in great detail as it relates to the Exodus narrative. But what about the looking back? Why are we now going back to Adam again? And we're going to continue to go back to Adam again and again. Well, right after the fall in the garden, we read in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what? Verse 15 reads, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It was the first gospel, the proto-evangelion, the first promise that God will reunite himself with man in a new and profound way. So yes, we look back to Adam and, and are reminded of that first promise. And as we do, we look forward to how God works in salvation history. And of course, all of which that points to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the promise and at once the one who calls us into a personal relationship with him. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.